This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have conversations with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. A little bit of housekeeping up front for this one. I've been on a brief hiatus, maybe you noticed, that included a stint at the Built North America Conference in Anaheim, California, and at the National AIA Conference on Architecture in Chicago, both of which were fantastic opportunities for me to get back together in person with many previous and upcoming guests of the show after three years without these industry events. It's still odd to think about how the pandemic has affected our industry in very different ways. At the AIA conference, I was on the other side of where I usually am as a conference attendee, this time manning a booth in the expo hall for two days straight where we were introducing TECT, which is my normal jobby job, to the attendees of the conference. And I'll be expanding on my thoughts over on the PeopleVerse podcast, which you can find at peopleverse.fm. I also had a chance to get off the grid after those two events and do some serious adventuring with my oldest son. We had an amazing trip that included whitewater rafting on class two, three, and four rapids in Northern California's American River. And we did lots of fishing and camping. A serious recharge was desperately on order. But I digress. In this episode, I welcome Robert DeMillo and Gilbert L. Zemeter. Robert is the CTO and Gilbert is the Global Head of Cloud and Software Engineering at Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, also known as SOM. Rob DeMillo has stood at the forefront of leading-edge technology development throughout his career and is an advocate for ideas and technology that not only change businesses, but move entire industries forward. Gilbert L. Zemeter brings a potent mix of technical, operational leadership, and business-building skills to turn vision into results. They both have interesting backgrounds from outside architecture. Rob was in tech, media, and entertainment, while Gilbert came up through fintech, which makes this story a bit more interesting as SOM saw the opportunity to go outside of the architectural silo for some additional perspective when hiring the next wave of technologists to, among other things, design and build their cloud solution for their interdisciplinary design teams and offices worldwide. In this episode, we discuss why Robert and Gilbert were interested in solving problems in AEC with their varying technology backgrounds, their vision and implementation of a bespoke cloud computing platform dubbed SOM Stream and SOM Fabric, why it was important for the firm to take team collaboration to the next level via the cloud, and so much more. So now I bring you my conversation with Robert DeMillo and Gilbert Elzemetter. Rob and Gilbert, it's great to have you here, and thanks for joining me on the podcast. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Thanks for having us. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are both uh, in the technology section at SOM. Rob, you're the mm -hmm. CTO, and Gilbert, you're the director of software engineering. And you told me that you direct software, not 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 lighting, and not audio, and not people. Now this is this is fantastic because you guys are at the at the table at a global firm and you are really thinking down the road as far as technology goes from my understanding. And I want to use this opportunity to just reveal that to people. What, what is the vision between behind what you're doing at SOM and if, Rob, just jump into it and give us kind of a, a little bit of a history and, and what the vision is. Yeah. I mean, just speaking for myself. Uh, so I have been, uh, doing cloud computing for a while. Prior to coming to the AAC industry, I was uh, intimately involved in digital media. Uh, so video, computer graphics, animation, and had just come out of doing a um, startup that got sold to Amazon 
that was that moved the animation workflow into the cloud. When the deal got done to purchase the company from Amazon, I didn't want to go with the deal. And I had already been talking to a number of AEC firms um, about uh, the potential for using what we did uh, in a different domain. So what we did for animation, that particular workflow would work perfectly inside of architecture. And during that process, uh, got to know SOM, flip a few months forward, here I am. And so I came here in the beginning of 2019, April 15th, tax day, 2019, and immediately started doing a deep dive into the firm and what they had done and what, uh, what they were doing going forward and determined fairly quickly that the workflows were basically identical. Uh, and moving the firm to a position of being able to reduce its dependency on physical machinery and reduce its uh, the walls between the various offices because of geographic distance uh, was great. And that combined with I wanted to bring a computer science ethic uh, into architecture in general, uh, every, all stars just aligned. So very quickly uh, started sourcing people and, and Gilbert's name pops up immediately when you do that. <laughs> so, so Gilbert, you came on board about six months later, is that right? Yeah, so uh, it was, that's, that's right at the beginning of 2020, uh, three months before everyone had to run home and lock the doors. Yeah, um, yeah. And my, my entry into this world is, is maybe a little less linear than Rob's. Um, you know, Rob described described me as the black box, essentially in <laughs> in the office of technology. Um, I came from the fintech world, financial services, hedge funds, banks, investment management systems, and software, cloud engineering in that world, and had run my own businesses for probably the past fifteen years of my career. And for me, it was an opportunity to move from an industry that is pretty much constantly at the bleeding edge of technology or had been until that point and go into an environment where there was a huge amount of opportunity to bring, you know, innovation, new ideas, a different way of thinking about how business was done um, across all facets of the business. Um, And, you know, Rob and I, you know, had a ton in common in terms of our thoughts around, you know, the future of technology, how we can go somewhere and actually influence ideas and help people think about using technology in different ways. Um, and that's what, you know, I'm passionate about, even though my focus is software engineering, and that's kind of what the bulk of my career has been. Um, you know, I think anyone you speak to, anytime you speak to Rob, anyone time you speak to me, we care about what's going on with technology in the world. You know, we have a lot of opinions about it too, um, whether they're right or wrong, but it's about talking about those things, creating almost an, an ecosystem within, you know, our own teams, but also within, within the firm about how to think about technology as a real disruptor to kind of the way we do business. Um, because, you know, we build glass boxes in, that go to the sky. And that hasn't changed and the, the workflows haven't really changed in a very long time. And it takes time to change and especially, at a, you know, a firm the size of SOM. So hopefully, you know, we, we can make the, some of those steps. And that's I'm, I joined because of the excitement around being able to actually really change and move the needle on kind of what we're doing. And, and it worked. That's, that's basically what we did. Yeah. I, I have so many, so many ways that this conversation could go. I, I want to start with the kind of leadership at SOM, having the vision to bring you guys in to do this, because one, one thing that I think is pervasive in our industry, and this is something I include in a lot of talks and presentations I give is that architects really hate two things. They hate the way things are and they hate change. And, and so it really shows some leadership there from SOM to say, we want to be where the, where the puck's going. We, we want to skate there. We don't want to keep doing things the same way. They want to position themselves as a leader in this space. Obviously, that has a lot to do with differentiating themselves uh, from the rest of the competition, but also attracting the right talent and being where they want to be in the future, right? So can you just speak to that a little bit and talk about kind of the how they approached you guys to bring you in and how they're enabling you to actually have change happen at SOM? Because in AEC, it, change is difficult, right? We, we are creatures of habit, and, and it is difficult to move on to new ways of doing things. Got to be careful what we say here, Rob. I know, exactly. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, uh, as you know, it's a firm, right? So there's no CEO. It's a it's a it's a table of partners, 
And you're right. They are extremely forward thinking. They did always have this vision of becoming a leader in technology spaces. And that was evident back in the 80s and 90s when when, um, SOM was very much at the forefront of bringing computers into architecture in the first place. And so they all understood that there needed to be another transition. And when I started talking to them uh, and made it known to them that I wasn't going to go with um, the deal that was happening with my previous comp- company, uh, they said, you know, we've been, we've been looking for a CTO for three years. And so that started a series of conversations. And the fact that they were not only looking for a CTO, but had gone out and done their due diligence, they brought in consulting companies to, to you know, crawl through the firm and, and determine what it was that, that they should probably need to push forward. And, you know, CTO pops out of that when you do that analysis. Uh, the partners have been nothing but supportive in, in all of this effort. And without that support, the acceptance within the firm would, would be physically impossible, I think. Uh, so they're all, t- you know, the firm takes its lead from what the partners uh, say and do. Uh, and they've all, they've all supported this effort all the way through. So your, your assumptions, Evan, are really correct. And as far as reaching outside of AEC and not kind of bringing somebody who is in the business, understands, you know, what it's like to be an architect, practicing architect, how did you get, how did they get to that point so that they were looking outside of their own silo? It's, you probably have to ask them that question. Uh, All I know is that the results made a lot of sense. As you heard from Gilbert and and myself, neither of us have been in architecture. Um, Although I did consider it back in the grad school days, but I, I didn't pursue it. The fact that we're coming in from outside the forest, so to speak, to to, to take a look around uh, means that it is fresh eyes. It means that it is eyes that has not been trained in the AAC way of working, um, for better or for worse, which allowed us to sort of go through and go, okay, so if this were another vertical, this is the things that we would do. and And that's what we started pursuing. Gilbert, you mentioned earlier that you saw a ton of opportunity here, right? Because it was, you can, coming from another place, you can, you can apply everything that you learned potentially to this. I I would imagine that I'm interested in the, what you saw in that potential, but also what actually, what it was actually like to all of a sudden start working with a bunch of architects <laughs> because we're, we're a weird bunch for sure. And, and I'm, I'm really interested in kind of that outsider perspective of being thrown into that fire. Yeah. The, so for me, you know, I didn't really have any deep understanding of the, the challenges that the business faced from a technology standpoint. I just knew that, you know, Rob essentially sold the dream and this definitely, this is my dream. <laughs> um, and I'm living it, every, and I'm living it every day. <laughs> that that could go too long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the for me, the opportunity to kind of come in and have an influence about kind of the way people did things and helping people to kind of reimagine the way they use technology was really, I think, the opportunity. The you know, there's like any business, right? There's people that are invested in continuing to develop their skills and knowledge. And there's people that just kind of want to clock in, get stuff done and kind of move on. And that doesn't make someone good or bad, right? But I think that the we know that the world is only heading in the direction of needing to embrace technology pretty much in every industry and in and all aspects of those industries as well. And, you know, I think the, the question that you asked Rob um, and, you know, Rob's it's Rob's very humble about how kind of his role as a CTO, right? And I think the importance of knowing AEC isn't that important because Rob's, you know, very storied career, lots of experience across different industries and experience being a technology leader. And I think that SOM craved someone that could come in, rally different minds and bring them to the table and take advantage of existing skills within the business and find ways to help that flourish, but also bring ideas from outside. And that's a, that's a delicate balance, right? And I think that it was it was controversial, right, kind of to bring a CTO from outside. But, you know, Rob is, again, again did an amazing job because we've achieved so many milestones that Rob envisioned in his kind of initial vision when he joined the firm and actually achieved them. So I kind of, was, as a team, we've been able to prove that um, you know, we can take advantage of external talent, help internal talent flourish and grow, 
um, and sort of help bring an innovative skilled mindset to, to the whole team so everyone benefits from it across the business. I, I appreciate the, the diplomatic way in which you called me old. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I mean, I mean, you know, the love fest goes both ways. I mean, I, this would not have been possible without Gilbert's leadership. Uh, we brought in um, a highly skilled group of computer science engineers. And I'm emphasizing that these are not coders. They're not scripters. Um, these are folks that, that we've worked with in the past um, that are skilled in cloud computing. They're skilled in streaming. They're skilled in a lot of technologies that we're utilizing on a day-to-day basis. And they immediately came in and grabbed the bull by the horns underneath Gilbert's leadership. And um, we drove to excellence for our systems that we've put together incredibly fast. It would, you know, it, it's, we, uh, Gilbert's team put together our streaming solution and file, uh, cloud file management solution um, within 18 months which was, you know, the way I do my work is in 18-month chunks. And so we did it within this eight-month time frame. And I would be not surprised to find out that people were dubious of that time frame happening. But it did happen. And, and uh, we very quickly uh, pivoted to a cloud environment. So, you know, kudos to kudos. And it's, and it's by the way, extending that to the rest of uh, my management team as well, my, my OT management team. They've all been really, really excellent. Yeah. And the getting to the cloud is about achieving parity. It's funny to say that, right? Because like when when we when we came to SOM Rob, you know, the cloud was already like a very well, very pretty much established technology platform that people should have been leveraging. But now we have parity, right? So from here it's only about endless opportunity to be able to take advantage of kind of who we are, where we are, where we go, and how we leverage that, that those capabilities by using the cloud. 100%. 100%. Yeah, when, when the cloud becomes a, a punchline on late night TV, then it's, then, you know, it's accepted. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've passed the trough of dif- disillusionment at that point. I'm interested in what the challenges were that you did identify. And obviously the, the focus, I think, on this conversation is really uh, on implementing a cloud solution and so I'd love to get into what that actually means. But beyond, you know, where you ended up with, with this particular thread with cloud computing, what were the challenges that you guys identified coming into this with fresh eyes, as you said? So, so there were three main areas identified almost immediately. And one was the tool sets uh, that people were using, uh, of course, were focused on localized computing, laptops and desktops. We were using what I would consider to be archaic video conferencing services and, and email systems and things like that. So there was, there was one phase of this, which was getting people to let go of um, having the comfort of local email clients or local communications technologies on their laptops and move to a cloud-based collaborative environment. So we've implemented Slack, we've implemented the Google suite of tools, uh, Gmail, that kind of thing. So that was one bucket. The next bucket um, that Gilbert and his group were specifically hired for was to deal with the file issues. So we had, as a lot of people did, we had a cached file service across all of the offices with a repository sitting in one Amazon data center. And um, the idea was to build a file system that sat on top of Amazon so that all participating data centers were essentially their own file server, right? And so implemented something called, it's basically the SOM files, right? Like the name, that's kind of amazing. Uh, SOM fabric, because it was basically a data fabric. And then uh, the third phase of this was to get computing off of the local machines entirely, right? And that involved creating a virtual machine environment within Amazon uh, that allowed us to uh, run full-featured, full-blown AAC software, and, you know, it's Rhino, Revit, the whole nine yards, in a virtual environment and have that information streamed back to just a local browser window. So that was the third phase of this that we call SOM stream. And... That's the, those are the technology challenges. The social challenges uh, had to do with adoption of the new technologies. People have their workflows. They have what they're used to, what they're comfortable from. So change management becomes comes into play for this. The way that I usually do change management where I go is the jump drumbeat of change doesn't change. <laughs> 
right? So the first couple of steps, migratory steps is tough. But then once uh, the population in an entity sees the pattern of release, they began they begin to accept the change uh, and, and, and adopt it as it comes forward. And then what happens after a certain length of time is people see the benefits of, of doing this and they see the benefits of moving to these cloud-based collaborative environments. That's my spiel. Jaber, I don't know what you want to add. One, one thing that's, that's I, I would, I want to, I want to just interject something here real quick is, and I'm wondering if this played into your guys' uh, strategy, the outcomes at all is for, for the longest time, I, I, I remember senior project managers saying, I can't believe there's a new version of Revit every year, right? Why do we have to do this every year? And, and you said, Rob, the drumbeat of change is change. It doesn't stop. And it's interesting to me now where you've got a device in your pocket that updates every single day. There's apps that are just, it's constantly being updated. I, it seems to me like that, that kind of mindset that I just spoke to is changing just because of all of, because we have computers everywhere now. We do have computers that are constantly asking us to update software, update, or just doing it themselves all the time. Has that kind of helped kind of smooth the the path here? Once you make that connection visible to them, yeah, it, it does. And, and the conversation that you have to have, the conversation that quickly turns to is, if you do not update, once you walk into the river, the speed with which that river leaves you is breathtaking. And so if you don't update, if you don't constantly change your workflow and constantly change the way that you, you work, it will not be very long, especially now. This is true now, much more true now than it was 10 years ago. Uh, if you do not change the way that you work, if you do not allow for updated technologies, uh, you are going to be left far behind at warp speed. Gilbert, do you have anything to add regarding those challenges? Yeah, but I think that's echoing the sentiment, right? It's like the software keeps on evolving. Um, but what that, I think, has to be aligned with if you really want to be at the forefront of this is your skills need to also evolve. Um, and, you know, you, you said it having yourself, you know, architects are resistant to change. Um, it's a creative business, right? Any kind of creative business, there's habits, there's... Um, you know, workflows that people have become used to. Every business has this. People have been used to doing the same thing over and over again. It makes it easy. It makes the start of the day easy. It makes the end of the day easy. You know what you need to do. As soon as you throw, you know, as in Australia, we say throw a spanner in the works um, to kind of like mess up the workflow, people kind of, it's it's a bit of a challenge. So I've one of the challenges kind of has been for me is kind of, being comfortable with people being uncomfortable. And there's been a lot of that, right? And it's like, I think it's okay to talk about it because there's, you know, this phrase we use in my team is we continually strive for perfection, but never actually get there. Um, and getting architects to understand that um, and our business to understand that. Oh, the operations side is, is, you know, all in with this. That's kind of the easy part. But the creative aspect, the way people have been doing things, the way they studied and used Revit, and Rhino and whatever at college and, you know, are now using it within the business hasn't really evolved much in the past, you know, 20 years. And not even getting people to think about things from a computer science, software engineering type mindset, automation, distributed computing, like we can talk about all of those things. Just getting people to think about a, a computer that's not under their desk and that is not persistent. So it's not the comp same computer every day that maybe at the beginning of the day, you have to spend a few minutes setting up the workspace, how you had it yesterday in the name of sustainability, in the name of, you know, cost, in the name of efficiency and using the cloud to the best capabilities. Um, it's taken time. A ton of education has gone into it. Um, you know, we kind of have to be even better as well from a PR and marketing perspective internally in terms of how we promote that agenda. The, you know, 50% of people are all in, 50% of people are not all in. Um, it's, you know, it's a slow, a slow change in the tide. And as we kind of offer, I think the more you give people an opportunity to learn, and uh, I think everyone is willing to be educated and, and sort of learn about how to do things better. And I think we're kind of doing pretty well from that perspective. You know, we, 
the, the, the stream, SLM stream part that, that Rob mentioned is, you know, pretty, very, very disruptive to the way people work. But again, it ties in, the timing was impeccable. It's it allowed people to work from, you know, wherever, whenever, and not be tied to some VPN, some office technology. They had a, you know, a multitude of data centers they could connect to, all of the same applications, all of their same data available from anywhere. Um, it made that transition way easier um, because of because of the pandemic. Um, even though a lot of businesses have been using these sorts of technologies for, for a long time, um, that that kind of helped helped us, I think, win that one. It did, yeah. It made our point for us, which is an odd thing to say, but but hundred percent agree with that statement. That I think that happened to a lot of a lot of firms, right? It just created the sense of urgency. Like, and and what I'm interested in that seems a little different from what you guys did, from what I from what I've heard a bunch of others is you you decided to build a bunch of these tools yourselves. So SOM Stream, SOM Fabric, versus picking something off the shelf. And so, uh, like a larger point here, I think is. Architects are typically in the position of buying off-the-shelf software that somebody else designs. We're kind of at the mercy of many of these vendors out there who sell software. Revit's a great example of that, right? It's like they're they're moved on to other markets to, to, for development now because they they felt like they they pretty much own the architecture market. So they're going for contract market, the contractor market. They're going for the owner market. And so it's interesting to me that that you guys that SOM decided to invest in creating your own platforms and systems to deliver this experience in the day-to-day i'm interested to hear more about that i i have a lot to say about that kind of thing um it, it's j- just to be 100 percent clear i'm not uh, all ah, let's go build it ourselves kind of thing right it's it's you do a buy versus build comparison at every step of every way even uh when gilbert's team was building stream for instance Rather than build a profile manager, they sourced a profile manager from from a third party company, right? So, so it's finding the bits and pieces along the way to use the best in breed, and then put it into the larger thing that you're building. And the reason that we built our own, the reason that that I you know brought these guys in in the first place, is that it doesn't exist, right? It, the the way that we have architected this software architect, sorry, the way that we've software architected this um, is uh, unique uh, to our situation here uh, for the way that our office is laid out and the way that people use the services and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, it's, it was helpful that we had a team that we've done this before. So it was helpful to come in and go, okay, you have to go bump, 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 and, and do these things. With regard to Revit, they need to Turn, you're you're right. Revit is a is an application that was arrested way back in the '90s, right? The, the basic architecture of that platform has not changed, and it's still just a it's a large piece of code that doesn't take advantage of microservices and a bunch of other things that are now modern technology uh, pieces. And they do it because the market's not there, right? But uh, you know, so in and as you said, they own the industry, so people are buying it, so they've got this captive audience. My my message to the folks at Revit, <laughs> if there's a message, is they should pay very close attention to what happened in the animation industry. Once again, there was a, there was a product, Maya, that had grabbed onto uh, the animation market and with the same logistics and the same kind of business flow logic and the same problems. Large application that was doing one thing, they had the animation community, we're done, let's move on to do something else. And what grew out of that was, was uh, the Blender Foundation. And so it was a bunch of animators that said, you know what, we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to pay for a product that's stagnant, uh, that just throws in a feature or two every new, every new release. Uh, we, we want something better. And so the, you know, they, the Blender Foundation was formed, and at first the animation industry was laughing at it. But over time, Blender, the animation application, grew and grew and grew to the point where it basically covers 95% of, the, of what Maya can do. And Maya is now seeing its market being eaten away by a free application. So, you know, it's, there is no reason why that cannot happen in the architecture space with, with Revit. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. In this podcast, I talk a lot about all the realities with my guests, you know, mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, all the realities. 
And I've got a new message for you from my friends at Avail. Let's talk about the new reality, which is that content, as I've talked about in the previous message from them, both wants and needs to live everywhere. Long gone are the days of saving files to your local hard drive or to a single on-premises server. In order to solve remote collaboration, information has moved to the edge. The cloud is king, and the number of cloud services out there dictate that the number of storage locations will continue to grow dramatically. Where do you store your files? BIM 360, OneDrive, SharePoint, Box, Dropbox, AWS, Azure. Chances are you probably save them in some weird combination of those that I just mentioned and more. Well, here's the point of this message. Avail hides the complexity of where content and information resides. What file to use used to be your biggest concern. Now it's where do all those files live. Avail takes where out of the equation, which means that with Avail, you can actually find your mission critical and not so critical files too, right when you need them. Avail helps get you the information you need faster. Go to getavail.com today to learn more. And now let's get back to our conversation. And we didn't like that. You know, I don't think we're, as a team of software engineers, I'll speak kind of on behalf of my team. We're not trying to rewrite, you know, the Revit toolbox or the tool suite. Um, we, we frequently are, are tasked with helping people do things maybe that they can't do in those applications um, or create tools and, you know, small kind of reusable features within those applications because, you know, the, the applications in, in the AEC world lack kind of a common language that they all speak. And that's changing, you know, companies like Speckle out there that are doing a little bit more some sort of version control and there's, you know, NVIDIA trying their thing with a, a universal kind of scene descriptor format to create this common platform or language of the, all these applications. That's huge. That these, these are huge things. Um, but that means nothing to a business like SOM for the most part, except maybe for a few individuals who are passionate about those things. Um, and it's, you know, the, the whole build versus buy thing is important, right? So, you know, Rob, my team, and really pretty much anyone in the office of technology, we dive deep into things like that to look at opportunities to leverage those technologies, integrate them into our workflows. Um, you know, the, the SOM stream product, the SOM, SOM fabric product, before we decided to build our own thing, um, which you know, is a compo- is components of potentially off-the-shelf technologies and also stuff we've built internally ourselves. We evaluated, I would say, close to 30 or 40 products that could have done the same thing for us but had shortcomings for one reason or another. So it only made sense to, you know, pretty much piece together or patch together various pieces and create sort of a holistic solution. That made a lot of sense. And, you know, on the AEC side, you know, we do the same thing. There's, there isn't really a good ecosystem of, let's call them apps or workflows that help people do things. Like we help build that through API connectivity, through, you know, trying to hack a few pieces together because the applications are so old and haven't evolved. Um, getting people to think about using, you know, operating systems besides Windows, uh, like Linux operating systems that can take advantage of sort of, uh, distributed computing, fast spin up, fast spin down for rendering, for computation, statistical analysis, and that sort of stuff. And creating a, a suite, let's call it a self-service suite of products that people can use, no matter if you're a tech, you know, someone who loves that stuff or not, it's, it's easy enough for you to use it. And you don't really know what's going on under the hood, but you're automatically using this suite of products. So it kind of makes that jump or that barrier for an engineer that doesn't really care about technology that much, be able to leverage it and take advantage of it. And then we take care of everything under the hood so that we know, you know, by using this platform in this, in this way, shape and form, um, we can extract these data sets. We can retain these data sets. This team over here on the other side of the world can take advantage of it. Um, and you know, thinking of it beyond just the day-to-day work 
the the interesting thing that I think would would be worth talking about is the scale at which you guys are operating and kind of just talking about that so people get a better idea of of what that is for SOM because I, I have a I, I when I imagine my audience like there's there's going to be very small all the way to large firms right and so give us an idea of where you guys are coming from when it comes to scale we're considered a large firm and um, it's we have on the order of fourteen hundred people scattered worldwide in uh, thirteen different offices. Uh, some of those offices are enormous. Uh, some of those officers offices are not so enormous. So we had to treat all of them with the same level of seriousness. And and you know there were challenges. Some of the challenges had to do with the environment that those offices are in. You know there, there's there's certain offices that are in uh, internet challenged uh, environments, and we had to be able to cope with that. And there are other places that are you know hop skip and a jump from the data center that they're using. Uh, and you know, obviously things were easier there. So it, it, it was a wide variety of things, but I, I have to say, uh, the challenge here was less than the previous place I was that built something similar for the animation industry where our, our product was a commercial product available to anybody that, that signed into the system where you don't have control over the environment at all. You've got people dialing in from everywhere, um, you know, trying to get the same kind of performance that you would in a major metropolitan area, but they might be, you know, in, in East, whatever, New Zealand, uh, and, and have a hard time getting a connection. Right. So, so from that aspect, what we had to deal with here at SOM is almost trivial in comparison. I don't want to trivialize it, but it, it was definitely less of a problem. Uh, so, but didn't you have that same scenario when everybody went to home? Because of COVID, well, what we wound up doing was assisting people that that were in um, situations where they were uh, cohabitating with other people that were also using the internet, or maybe didn't have as high speed internet as as uh, you know they were only watching Netflix or something. And so, we established a metric uh, where we wanted to get everybody up to 100 meg down for uh, to to have a good experience. And so we we helped people do that. And so then when it came to kind of getting this, I mean, this sounds like it was a a multi-year plan and it sounds like you achieved this very quickly, actually. And so adoption, what was the change in behavior, the mindset really like for you guys to experience as you went through implementing these changes where people did have the big machine under their desk to having, I don't know, a Chromebook or whatever kind of lightweight, uh, you know, terminal that they had to log into the cloud? I'll, I'll just speak from my point of view first and then chime in with yours. So it was um, the first thing to notice that happened and it had, it had little to do actually with, it was before fabric and before, before stream. Uh, when we started putting in cloud collaboration software in place of longstanding localized software, we saw a dramatic increase in collaboration between the offices just dramatic, right? It, you know, we, we gave people more options than using uh, a Cisco WebEx and, and a phone, right? We, we, we have, and now it's extremely mature. We have ways of, of dealing uh, with remote collaboration using a variety of tools that interact and talk to each other. Uh, and, and you can see it when you look at the numbers, you can see the collaboration efforts go up. And I think people, you know, even through the, the chat systems that we implemented, which was you know, just Slack is, is what we're using. Uh, I think people became friends uh, that were thousands of miles away from each other that, that may not have even known uh, other than other, anything about them other than their name prior to something like that happening. So, so that was all a positive. <clears throat> um, the workflow change with uh, Fabric and Stream Shubert spoke to it, right? It's, there's always this adjustment. Adjustment. Um, it is a different way to work. There's just no way of getting around that. It is a different way to work from what people are used to. But those that are in it and sitting in the seat and that are comfortable now, um, you know, they're helping us preach. So that, that's always a good thing. Yeah, I think the, I think kind of to put it really frankly, it's, it's something that will always be a challenge that you will con- need to continuously educate people on, especially as, you know, new people come into the firm that have been used to using a certain way of, or use computers in a certain way, right? So like an example of the 
I'll say the the impact of that, you know, what was it last week or the week before we onboarded a hundred interns, right? For the standard intern season. We didn't we didn't buy anything for these for these interns. Nothing. Literally one day before they were supposed to start, their accounts were set up in our system and the day after they logged into SLM stream with a computer that was living in the cloud they got to use. Like we invested, you know, zero really in physical infrastructure. So the, you know, the real disruptive nature of it was visible. And this happened last year as well and it happened again this year and people were still shocked this year about how quickly it happened. And I think that will continue to be until it's normal that nobody owns a computer anymore and that we're just using very, let's call it dumb terminal devices like a lot of us used when we were at university and everything happened really on the server side. Um, that's just the way everything is going today. The, the, the kind of conversations we continue to have today are highlighting, you know, here are some of the things that maybe you feel like have gone away that you're used to having. Um, but in place of them, here are 10 more additional, you know, powerful uses of technology that you can now exploit to do work better and do work smarter. Um, so it's a, it's constantly like a, a good versus evil conversation that we have to have because like whether we like it or not, there's this, it's, it's impacting people's, the way people work and how they're used to working. You know, it's as simple as like, you know, when you, most people are used to having a computer that's turned on all the time. Um, they come in for the day, they press control or delete and they start working and everything is lined up exactly how it was yesterday. Um, but that computer's been on, it's been churning, um, you know, wattage, um, there's, you know, serious impact. So, you know, we, with every decision we make, you know, when it comes to building applications or buying applications or, you know, engineering things, we have this purpose, which is sort of, you know, bound by our sustainability goals as a firm. So any decisions we make, we have to think about that. And the more and more we kind of promote that idea to people, the more it makes sense because, you know, I think there's one common thread at SOM is everyone really cares about the sustainability and the future of our planet. Literally everyone cares about that. So the minute we have that conversation, it's it's a much easier conversation to have. Um, with some obviously there's always going to be some frustrations, right? And kind of an, it's an evolution um, as we go through this. That's a that's a really important point to kind of harp on. We started the process of de-escalating iron. And, uh, you know, once Fabric went live, uh, we started shutting servers off firm-wide to the point where there are no major servers running uh, in any of our offices right now. Um, we were using, as I said before, for our, tri our files were being passed around through a caching system uh, where you had to have a cache in the office as large as the repository sitting in the cloud, which is kind of ludicrous, but that's, that's how it was set up. And so we started turning those drives off and to, to, to date, most of the, the external drives and most of the um, servers are off. Uh, and that's a huge, huge, huge power savings, right? That's, that's less power consumed by each office. Uh, it's less HVAC required in each of the server rooms. And so the next step here, after we're comfortable that everybody is up and running comfortably, or the majority of folks are up and running comfortably in the cloud environment that, that was built, um, it's the next step is to turn off the desktops and, and watch what happens to the power consumption. So, yeah. Interesting. It, it also kind of makes me think about kind of the threat points that were there in, you know, your guys' office is a great example where, where you're turning off these potential points for security breaches to come in. I, I remember being in an office and like, like, uh, an intrusion came in through the building security system. Another one came in through the old PC running Windows 95 that was running the laser cutter, right? And it was like, people didn't even think about these out of sight, out of mind. But I would assume by also turning off these servers and turning off all these things, you're actually tightening up the ship as well. Like every large firm, uh, everyone is insured, right? So we're insured against malware, we're insured against viral takeovers. Um, and, and those insurance companies aren't stupid. They, they hire uh, other companies uh, to do security checks on us. And I, want, I, mean, I don't want to get into specifics, obviously, but we, we hit a 98th percentile when the tests were done uh, this last or fall, this spring, I guess. 
which is the first time that it's happened here. So, so we have secured a very, very high security rating by implementing everything that we've implemented. So your assumptions are correct. I'm talking to the 2% right here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. Coffee shop and uh, co- coffee shop. And can I borrow your USB drive? Sure. Here. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Uh, so, so as CTO, Rob, I, I assume you guys are more than just implementing this kind of stuff, but you're also kind of in charge of facilitating this change. And so one of the things, Gilbert, that you talked about was training, right? Constant training. And so how do you guys handle that? I mean, that to me is one of the things that a lot of firms don't readily invest in and they're relying on YouTube for that or for whatever, for, for many different reasons, right? It, it is another investment. So I'm just wondering your point of view on, on training and investing in the staff in that way. We have a very talented group of talkers <laughs> in my team, um, uh, not just Gilbert, all of our manager leads. Uh, Gary Holder and, and Blake Coddington and Connie Mall and Cat Park, combined with Jobert, they're my, my management team inside of the Office of Technology. Um, they and their staff are really, really good at giving demos and talks and you know writing writing the papers to cover as much of the topics as we can. We can always do more. Uh, you know, it, there's always you know the problem with with verbally communicating things in a talk to 20, 30, 100, 500 people, it's, you, things get missed. People don't ask questions. Uh, you know, they're doing something else where they're listening. Um, and so you got to come back and do it again and again. And so I, I think we can do better. I think we're doing really, really well. I think we can do better. Shaber, you want anything to add to that or is it? Yeah. The, you know, training is like, because my my kind of remit is focused around computer science, software engineering. So you know, when I train people, I train you know uh, geometry focused, you know, computational design focused people on how to use version control, how to you know make sure their code is structured in you know a proper, let's say we call it Pythonic way, follow specific you know architectures and uses specific algorithms that they use you know, secure at source control. They don't just download random scripts from the internet and say, I'm just going to try this out. Um, and they follow, you know, guidelines around best practices from going from development to staging to production. So, like, my my, my focus is there. Um, and the people that are, I think, skilled in, let's say, scripting or, you know, writing Grasshopper-type stuff or writing add-ins for, for Rhino and whatnot, you know, really love this stuff. They really get into it because they know that it makes them much better at their job. It also makes them more employable, you know, in this world where I think sort of software engineering, computer science, coding skills will become pretty much, I think, a requirement in the next five years or six years of this business. Um, So the more we can impart that knowledge to um, you know, leaders in sort of the, the geometry space or the design space, the more they can, you know, train other people within the firm in that skill set as well. Um, so I think, look, in general, um, if you, you can build tools to teach people how to use things, like I mentioned earlier, you know, under the hood, a lot could be happening that people maybe don't care about the detail. But I think if you let them know that, like, okay, by using this process, you can reduce the time it takes, you know, to render these frames from, you know, the six hours that it takes you not being able to use the computer that you have under your desk down to 20 minutes or five minutes. You know, you decide and you decide how much money you want to spend on that render because you can choose that now um, and that flows into other aspects of the business from project management to budgeting and all of that kind of stuff. So people start to think by kind of giving them those tools, start to learn about what's the impact of my action in using the different technology that I have and how can I use it better. I think we've been I think we've been good at that. I think what like Rob said, it's there's still there's still a way to go. And we'll again we strive for perfection, right? We're never gonna get there. That's my pessimism employee. I'm never really satisfied with that part like I want it to be, you know, crisp. I, that's important. I think that it's important to stay hung, hungry like that. It, it's interesting to to link 
decision making at a personal kind of staff level to the impact on the business. And that starts to give them a better picture of the business of architecture and how they're contributing to that. Uh, so I, that's fantastic to hear about. One of the, I, I want to start wrapping up here and I want to give you guys kind of an, a, an opportunity to paint a picture of what it's actually like. What for a user who, or somebody who joins SOM um, at whatever level, I mean, it, like the day to day, we've talked about some higher level concepts here cloud computing, H, you know, the, the SOM stream. Like, give us, just give us an idea. I know you, you mentioned Slack, you mentioned the Google suite. What are some of the other kind of key pieces to the puzzle? And what's it like when somebody kind of works at SOM on the production side of things um, when, when they're, they're day to day? So it's when somebody comes in from uh, fresh, they don't notice any change, obviously, because they're new to the firm. So, so just onboarding them to the new systems is, is just de rigor. Um, there's, <clears throat> with regard to some of the collaborative tools, uh, what's been fun, uh, there's been a couple of things that have been fun. One of, one of the things that's been fun is that um, as people started to get into the concept of collaboration, especially once we all were locked in our homes uh, for, a couple, for a couple of years, uh, they started suggesting software themselves. And so, for instance, we we uh, we took on Miro. Uh, architects like to do a lot of in-person sketching uh, and 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 displaying models and talking about the, the diagrams on pin boards and things like that. And there's no digital equivalent to that, really. And so, what was suggested to me by um, one of our folks in the San Francisco office was, "Hey, have you have you checked out Miro?" And we did, and it it seamlessly integrated. People people immediately took to it. Um, for a while, we couldn't keep up with the license management. There's so much of it. So, so the user acceptance and the user pushing uh, for some of their you know favorite puppies um, it, it has been fun, right? And I think it's been fun for them and fun for us. And the collaborative effort between the two have, have been good. And then the other thing that's happened is we we started using Slack, and this really came out of Gilbert's group. Um, but expanded quickly to to Blake's group and some of the other groups was using Slack as uh, a user interface to the firm. So it, it, Slack is very easy to code, right? Uh, I don't want to trivialize it, but it, but it's it's very easy to make plugins and and have you know little Slack robots uh, that can do things for you. And so Gilbert's team instantly started by being able to fire up uh, cloud based instances via Slack and, uh, you know, Blake just implemented an Adobe license manager in Slack. So, so very quickly, there are tools that are adapting to the environment that's currently in place that, uh, make sure that people can, can manage their environment without having to learn something new. They're already in Slack. They're in Slack most of the day, and it's very easy to just do a thing. So, so those are the two things I would point out, Jobert, I don't know what you, what you want to add. Um, I think the the the, most, the biggest thing to me that I think is visible to a user when they come here is that they like we care about when because everyone's like says what's in it for me. I think the we listen to what people want to do or their ideas and their thoughts on on how they think the technology should operate. And like Rob mentioned, you know, people give us ideas about software applications that are used within the industry, and then we evaluate those and we dissect them and we see how they would best fit into the workflow of the firm. Um, but it's all driven by, you know, the subject matter experts because that's not us, right? I think, and it's, I think we have no ego about saying that. I think it's important that we stay really connected with the people that are on the ground doing the work and take their ideas and their thoughts. Um, you know, we're evaluating a product right now with the, um, uh, with the, with the design studio geometry uh, digital sort of design geometry specialists that will bring together you know a whole new way of working at SOM you know from front to back and using a, a technology to do that and where we essentially have picked different people from each discipline to be part of that pilot to evaluate that technology because we can't do that. Right, so we we build the technology for them. We give it to them, and we say, "Okay, go see how you could potentially disrupt the way SOM works today using this new tool set, and come up with the workflow that the firm will use for decades to come." So they have an opportunity to really change change that uh, you know change the way we work at this firm. And I think that's what's exciting, and will continue to excite people that come and join SOM or 
people that are working at SOM that are looking to kind of continue to get get interested in what's going on. It's another great thing to hear. Absolutely fantastic because this is a, an enablement by leadership to have the practice side helping drive based on you know the, what they're seeing because they are the ones who are the doers. And if they have a, a hand uh, in that decision making process to say you know these are the tea leaves that I'm reading that where we're going to be when we're five years down the road practicing our craft is it's absolutely fantastic to hear that because I think a lot of times we as an industry get our blinders on and we don't think things are going to change like the weather today is going to be the same as it was yesterday and and that's a very much um, a hard thing to overcome in this industry for a lot of people so it's fantastic to hear that uh, there are people being enabled to prototype this process you know potential future processes without like a a direct ROI on that, right? Because I think a lot of business decisions are like, how is this going to help me right now? And if it doesn't help me right now, it's not, we, we're not even going to consider it. Um, that, so it's fantastic to hear that. If you guys had the opportunity, last, last question, uh, to kind of you know put the megaphone to the industry about something that you feel like they need to hear, because this is now taking it outside of SOM, but, but taking your experiences that you have applied sound it sounds very successfully at SOM and and help raise the boats of you know throughout the profession what what would you say to the rest of the profession with your megaphone well never give me a megaphone that's a bad bad idea uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I just did one earlier with with you know the cautionary tale to, to the revit people that they should pay attention the the overriding message I would have for the industry is this is not impossible this is very very doable um, you, you, you don't need the stuff we had before. You just do not need it. Uh, and it's a different statement now than you would make five years ago, six years, seven years ago, and five or six years from now, it's going to be even different. It's going to be even more extreme, but, um, you know, we have proven you, you, you don't need $20,000 workstations under every single desk and you don't need a million dollars worth of servers and drives in a back closet somewhere. Um, again, I don't like megaphones, um, so don't 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 distribute this too far. Um, no, I think that the I guess whoever's listening to this, right, um, is probably listening to this because they're interested in technology. Um, I think that message needs to be megaphoned out. Is like invest in the technology capabilities of the business of your business if you're a business owner or you influential in a business or even if you're not invest in those skills and when i say invest in those skills i'm not saying like learn how to use google drive and some of that stuff but like invest in like really understanding how to how can you work better using technology from learning a little bit of code through to evaluating other tools that are out there in the market that maybe will help you work better and bring those ideas to the table um, so that the firm sees that people care about it. You know, thankfully we have a, a CTO that drives that, right? But now we have a whole firm that drives that because it took that small ch change to happen. Um, I think a lot of firms haven't really, of course, like the top five, top 10 players are thinking about this stuff, right? But there's this huge market of, you know, 50 to 200 person AEC firms that are probably using legacy technology, Microsoft Word 1995, and haven't evolved their applications and haven't invested in potentially some someone that you know university graduate that has some software engineering or software development skills to help them come and rethink how they do things, automating processes, you know, farming out processes to the cloud, and it can help them do business better. They can make more money. They can be way more competitive. And make it an interesting place to work as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hundred percent right. And, and get your people involved. Get everybody, you know, like don't dictate, listen, like what do, what do people have to say at your firm or your office or your, your, your company environment? Like what is, what are their pain points? What, what would they like to try? Key, key aspect of leadership is being able to listen and weigh everything that comes in, right? And, and make decisions based off that and enabling people to be a part of that decision-making process is, especially when things are moving this quickly 
I mean, you mentioned five, five years, right? Oh my, you, we, we cannot imagine what it will be like in five years. It's, it's impossible. We'll all be living in the metaverse. <laughs> we will. We might. Yeah. We, we just might all have fanny packs on our face. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both for taking the time and joining me today. I think this uh, it's a great message for the profession, for the industry, but also a, a great case study in what's possible. So I really appreciate your time, Rob and Gilbert. This has been a fantastic conversation. Thanks, Evan. Pleasure. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.